Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, March 8th, 2021. One of my family's favorite places to eat is Chick-fil-A. And one nice feature about Chick-fil-A is if you do get that kid's meal, you have the option of trading back the toy as that comes as a part of that meal for an ice cream cone. And that's been a popular choice with my children. But early on with my oldest, with my daughter, the rule was always if she asked, can I trade the toy for an ice cream cone? The answer was always yes, but... You have to ask yourself. I was trying to teach her to go up and to actually ask the employees and if they could exchange the toy for the ice cream cone so she could learn how to have that interaction. And then once they gave her the ice cream cone, teach her to say thank you, not so much so she could have good manners, but more so just so that we could hear the Chick-fil-A worker say, my pleasure. And so that was the rule. You can have it if you learn to ask for it yourself, because that's something kids have to be trained into. Naturally, a lot of children, they want mommy or daddy to ask the question for them, right? If they're shy or embarrassed at all, right, they want mommy or daddy to to go before them and to ask the question that they want to ask, but are too shy to ask. Well, that sounds a lot like what we read about in Matthew chapter 20 today as we look at verses 17 through 28. And this is not a little child. This is two grown men. And what we see here is that the mother in verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. So who are the sons of Zebedee? That is that is the disciples, James and John. And so they come up to Jesus with their mother. And the mother says to Jesus, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So mommy comes with her two sons to ask Jesus if her two sons can sit in the two most honored positions in the kingdom. Now Jesus responds in verse 22, Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And I think ultimately he's referring to his suffering and what he will experience Uh, Through all of that, that's what he's talking about with the cup that he is going to have to drink. And they said to him, who knows what what their level of understanding was when, when they say this, they say, we are able. And he said to them, you shall drink my cup. And we know James is beheaded uh, for in persecution in the early church. John, it seems, might be the only of the disciples from what we gather from history and tradition. He's the only one of the disciples that was not martyred. But that doesn't mean they didn't try. He also went through much, much suffering for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus says to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, right? The the other disciples, they're upset about this. And I don't think this was, you know, they were being altruistic and saying, man, haven't you guys heard Jesus teaching about humility? You shouldn't be seeking the spots in the kingdom. No, I just think that 
they're upset that they didn't get their mommies and ask first. But Jesus, he sees this and he brings some very necessary correction. In verse 25, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he corrects them and he gives a bad example. And he talks about the lords of the Gentiles. They have authority and they lord it over people, right? They aren't going to do anything to help somebody. They expect everyone to do everything to help them. But then on the other side, he gives a positive example. And that positive example is himself, that he did not come into the world to be served, but he came to serve. And he came to give his life a ransom for many. And so he's offering himself as the example to which his followers um, should seek. And that's a good reminder for us because this is a radically countercultural thing. Uh, It's still today. Everyone wants to be the boss. Everyone wants to be the one who is served. That's kind of how our whole world operates for the most part. Jesus is saying, no, we're going to have a different economy as Christians. And your goal is not to seek greatness and power and glory for yourself. Your goal should be to follow my example and to serve others. And what we're going to see though, is that is the path to real greatness. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples that lesson. We talked about this lesson rather recently at Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley as we've been working through John 13 and looking at the example of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And he, again, says that that is meant to be an example for them, that they are to wash one another's feet. And I think the idea was connected. It was a continuation of lessons that he had been teaching them like this one, that their goal was not to be to get everyone serving them, their goal was to become the servant of all because that is what Jesus did. Jesus gave up at the Last Supper, his seat of honor at the table and washed everyone's feet. In his incarnation, he gave up his place of honor at the right hand of the Father and put on flesh, took the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. And so it's a Monday and When we talked about that message at our church, I encouraged people to think practically through some of the most common areas of their lives, to think about their workplaces, to think about their homes, to think about their church and their relationships there, uh, to think about even their neighborhood or their community. And are they approaching all of these things with this kind of mindset? And that was actually just over a week ago. If you're a part of our church, how'd that go last week? And here on a Monday, on the start of a new week, I would encourage you again to think through each of those areas. And today, for you to remember, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, He did not come to be served, but to serve. And that is what He is calling you to do today, in your home, at your workplace, at your church. He's not calling you to show up saying, hey, I want to be served, but to show up saying, I want to serve. 
And I want to show this example of Jesus Christ. And we see more even of that example of Jesus Christ in the verses at the beginning of our passage, where in verse 18, he said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus is even foretelling the suffering that he will experience. So he certainly practiced what he preached in this passage. May we first and foremost always look to his example and even realize it's his example that provides our ransom and our salvation. But may we seek to follow his teaching and to follow his example. Well, we read another man going up to Jerusalem today and also we see foretelling of the suffering that he will experience there. And I'm talking about the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 21 verses one through 16. And so what we see here is another record of some of his travels as he is heading up to Jerusalem, but we also see some interactions that we have uh, here with uh, some other people and people, it seems almost prophetically, not almost prophetically are being told what is going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem, that he is going to suffer there. Even one man, again, as an act of prophecy, he takes Paul's belt and binds his hands and his feet and says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. And really, these are proved correct. Paul is handed over to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. The Jews uh, seek to really kill him, and eventually he's handed over to the Romans. But Paul persists, and Paul goes. Now, this is a very interesting passage, uh, because the Spirit seemed to be telling some people what was going to happen, but the Spirit seemed to be telling Paul that he needed to go even though he knew those things were going to happen. And again, that's an interesting situation because what we do see in Scripture, even in Paul, there's been other times where he has run from persecution, right? He has fled. He's literally, you know, escaped through the a window in the walls of the city and been lowered in a basket, right? There's been times where he has fled, but this time, no, he is walking into what he knows will be um, persecution. And even he thinks this is going to lead to imprisonment and possibly even death. And so I think it presents an interesting situation for us as Christians today, right? Where we don't need to go out and seek martyrdom, Uh, But here, Paul, who clearly wasn't always seeking that and at times was taking measures to protect himself or get away from persecution, this time he's knowingly walking into it. And I think as we see even a world that is becoming less and less friendly towards Christianity, uh, I think this is maybe just something that Christians should pray more for. God, give me the wisdom to know when to take a stand and when to basically knowingly walk into persecution. Give me the wisdom when that is what you want me to do and give me the wisdom to know when it's better to avoid some of those things. And obviously we know there's some parameters to that. We should never avoid persecution by being unfaithful or by denying Christ or by backing down from what the Bible teaches. We never see Paul doing that, but there are times where he avoids persecution more in a literal way by leaving a city. 
And there's this time where he is walking right into it, knowing full well what's going to happen, right? That might be choices that Christians today have to face or in our culture are going to have to face more. No doubt these are choices that persecuted Christians around the world right now are facing. So maybe it's a good reminder for us to pray for those that are actually making these decisions and to pray for ourselves that when and if that time comes for us, God gives us the wisdom as to when to make that stand and when to walk into that persecution and the courage to do so. And obviously, this courage should come from a high view of God. And we see some of that high view of God as we go to Psalm 33 today. Psalm 33, 6 through 12. And there uh, we see, I love what it says in verses 8 and 9, where it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And that's referring to verses six and seven, where it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses, talking about his creation that God did by his word and by the breath of his mouth. And that should inspire fear and awe in our hearts as we look out at creation and consider the creator, the one who made all of this. And I think it should be something that when we do need that courage, the courage to make a stand for Christ, one of the things we can do to strengthen our hearts is to look around and to remember that we serve the God who made everything we're seeing with the words of his mouth, with the breath of his mouth. And may we truly praise his holy name. Well, well, next we wrap up at Numbers 6 and 7. Today, Numbers chapters 6 and 7. Chapter 6 talks about the Nazarite vow, which this was uh, somewhat of an optional thing. This wasn't something that everyone uh, did, uh, but this was something where someone would kind of set themselves apart for a special act of service or for a special season with this vow. And I think even we we're going to see an example of Paul uh, doing that in the book of Acts. There's a time where he takes this vow. The most famous, obviously, is Samson, who was supposed to follow this vow from birth. It seems that was the exception. Most people that did this vow, it was for a specific time, for a specific season. Um, but we see the instructions there on what this Uh, what the protocols were, what they weren't supposed to do. They weren't supposed to cut their hair. They weren't supposed to have anything from the fruit of the vine. So no wine. They weren't even supposed to touch it. They weren't, they were supposed to have extra care and separating themselves from a dead body. Uh, So these were special things that they were to do for this season. And then we see even the sacrifices that they were supposed to do when this season was over. Uh, In chapter seven, uh, just for a fun fact, if you want to, you know, kind of dare somebody and say, hey, I bet you I could memorize a, a chapter in the Bible that's 89 verses in one day. Um, maybe you could do Numbers chapter 7, because once you get into the chapter, it is very repetitive because it goes through all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and they all make an offering of dedication at the tabernacle. And it's the same exact details. It just swaps out the names. And so you see that 12 times in a row, and maybe you notice that reading this chapter, it's very repetitive, uh, very much in the details. But what's going on is day after day, a new representative from each tribe is coming to offer an offering of dedication at 
the tabernacle. And notice how the chapter ends though. Don't get lost in all the details, but in this sacrifice of dedication, what happens at the end in verse 89, and when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him, right? That in the midst of all of this, God shows up and speaks to Moses. That this tabernacle, even though we've read a lot of the details, which isn't always the most scintillating reading to be sure, but in the midst of all that, God is showing up and meeting with his people. And that's a pretty amazing thing. Well, I want to leave you today with the words of the blessing that Aaron was to give to the people. And remember, as these people are preparing for war, he is blessing them with peace. So as you start a new week this Monday, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.